The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuzzo. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. Thank you so much for joining me. We have a great show coming up today. I'm looking forward to it because I have with us my very special guest and my good friend from many, many years, Jim Acre, who is author of The Problem with Breastfeeding, A Personal Reflection. And Jim is now, as many of you probably remember, he worked for, I believe, more than 30 years for the World Health Organization in the Nutrition Division. Jim, welcome, and thank you for coming. Thank you very much, Maria. I'm very happy to be here. And Jim, happy Father's Day. Thank you very much. Happy (laughs) Grandfather's Day to me, too. Yes, yes. Now tell me this. Do you have Father's Day in Switzerland? No, we don't. We Not officially, but uh, I'm certainly aware of that in terms of my own uh, extended family and those around me. And it's, uh, it's a treat. Thank you. Well, then, in that case, I'm just going to stick to my U.S. traditions and tell you that we have all celebrated Father's Day, and I'm very honored and feel very blessed that I can celebrate a little bit with you. Uh, You've certainly been the father of many ideas that I've been able to expand upon over the years, and I know you have your... uh, Jim, remind me, do you have three children? I have three children, and I have five grandchildren, and a sixth on the way. Amen. Okay. Well, in the spirit of that, then, uh, I hope that we can all celebrate Father's Day with some of your reflections about breastfeeding, and in particular, being a male lactivist. I noticed that you used that term to describe yourself. What's a male lactivist? Well, I'm not exactly in love with the term lactivist, but I am an activist, and it is about lactation. So that's very, very, uh, very appropriate. It happens to, in my case, to be an awareness that, first of all, first and foremost, we are all, whether male or female, we are all mammals of the same species. And that places a special responsibility on us, I think, to act according to our nature, which is presupposed and is imposed, superimposed. I call uh, the mother of us all, mother nature, obviously. Ah. And so whether you're male or female is, is basically irrelevant. While it's true, we all have our, uh, shall we say, shared roles uh, yes. in terms of bringing new life into the world. 
we also have a shared responsibility for nurturing and nourishing this new life. Talk to us a little bit more about the nurturing and the nourishing. And I know that you always put them in that order, Jim. Sure, because, uh, well, the actual nourishment, the food, does not begin until sometime after birth, whereas the nurturing begins immediately after birth if the child is placed on the mother's uh, belly for the, the, bread, the famous breast crawl, which so few of us have ever experienced, either as when we were born or the children that we have brought into this world. And this is very unfortunate because medicalized births are not the same as non-medicalized births. Placing a child skin to skin, I mean, you think of the work of people like Neil Spagman, uh, who I call Dr. Uh, Kangaroo Care in South (laughs) Africa. Yes, yes. Neonatologist who has shown among others who has shown the importance of those first literally minutes, uh, hours uh, following birth, which have nothing to do with nourishment in a physical sense of food passing. It's all the continuation of the birth process. And that's where the uh, nurturing comes in. Of course, this continues at the breast with the colostrum and with the mature breast milk. And for as long as breastfeeding and holding babies, holding children's skin to skin continues. Jim, remind me, are you the one who introduced me to uh, Leonard Regard? It could very well have been. Uh, Leonard is the first, I believe he's, he was a neonatologist, and he was the first one to capture on film the yes. breast crawl, as far as yes. I know. And as his film was... Produced in 1990, I had uh, the uh, the privilege and the pleasure of meeting him at the first La Leche League uh, Europe uh, session in Vienna, uh, rural Vienna, in I believe it was the summer of 1994. I was just thinking that I had the great pleasure of teaching about five different sessions with Dr. Leonard Regard. And I found him not only insightful and knowledgeable, but totally delightful and just, oh, I don't know. I felt honored and blessed just to be able to breathe the same air. <laughs> but I, uh, when you mentioned the breast crawl, I felt compelled to men- mention Dr. Regard. Yes, indeed. And uh, I, as far as I know, he's the first one to capture it on film. And that is a, uh, that is a stroke of, uh, of genius on his yes. part. He certainly worked hard enough to, to, to make that happen. So I think we could call him the father of filming that, uh, that episode of The Breast Crawl. And by the way, that film is still available here in the United States. And for anyone who's interested, they can get it through gettyspro.com. I'm pretty sure I'm giving the correct website. I can look that up when I get a second. But it's a wonderful, it's only six minutes long, but it's totally wonderful. So tell me this, Jim, why is, I know that you also feel that breastfeeding is a man's work. Tell me about that and more about the mammalian species. Well, again, looking looking at those who uh, spend the time doing this, the naturalists, we, we recognize that there are uh, roughly 5,400 mammalian species. Ever since our good friend, Dr. Uh, Carolinus Linnaeus, the Swedish botanist and physician zoologist, 
began to use the term or suggested to use the term mammalia, which was then common to today roughly 5,400 species, including ours. And we're talking about the placentals, that is human beings, for example, the marsupials, including the kangaroos, and then a very small group of interesting egg-laying mammals, most notably the duck-billed platypus. And uh, the the common feature here, one of the three common features, of course, is that they all give milk to their young, including our species. And this, this is to say, this is, uh, this is the, um, uh, the starter kit that Mother <laughs> Nature has provided. And we, we all come into the world pretty much in the same way, uh, naked, wet, and ready to suck. That is, if things have not been interfered with in terms of a, a non-medicated birth. And interrupting this uh, has serious implications, as any number of uh, people have uh, discovered in their, in their research. I think of Daniel Siegel, uh, who his training is a pediatrician and clinic, clinical psychiatrist. Uh, I think of James W. Prescott. Oh, yes. A, a man who has uh, looked at the whole question of the importance of the interaction between mothers and their children and the impact uh, when this is interrupted in terms of, of violence, in terms of abuse, in terms of separation anxiety. You think of Michel Audin, oh, uh, who yes. is a, a, a wonderful, uh, very active still, 84-year-old. He's still alive? He's still very much alive. Oh, I had the pleasure. I had the pleasure of presenting with him in Sardinia the oh. first week of March oh, during nice. a, one of his conferences on uh, primal health. And uh, you think of people like Jack Newman, um, any number in Canada, any number of other males were very interested in these areas because they recognized the importance for the, the happiness and the health and the well-being of all of us. And I might add to that list uh, Derek Jelloff, who was certainly the late, great Dr. Derek Jelloff. And uh, before we go on, uh, Jim, I just want to mention that we were talking about that wonderful film that Dr. Leonard Regard did, and I just looked it up on the internet. It's available from Getty's Production dot com and I will spell that for our listeners. It's G E D D E S P R O D U C T I O N dot com. It's only six minutes and I believe it's called uh Delivery First Attachment. I did not look that up, but I'm pretty sure that's the title of it. It's totally wonderful. Uh, Jim, give us just a very, very short description. I know that you have, I believe it's a chapter titled Grandparent School, or else it was just a short article. Uh, What is Grandparent School? (laughs) Grandparent School is a reflection that I prepared. It's about 500 words. It's really very brief. And it took me back to my childhood. In fact, it took me back to the coming uh, to America of my grandparents uh, whom I didn't, whom I never knew, unfortunately. My my father's people came from Norway, and my mother's people came from Italy at the end of the 19th and beginning of the 20th centuries. And unfortunately, I never knew them. 
yes. so that on, there I was at the age of eight or nine. I was searching with, without even realizing that I was searching for other uh, sort of grandparent surrogates at the time. And I met uh, an old man who was probably 50, who uh, was very helpful to all of us children who helped us to keep our bikes in, in fine uh, in, in fine shape. And then later, when I went to Cameroon, which is where I lived and worked for two and a half years in the late 1960s, that's where I began to experience what I call a, the, the most meaningful transformation in terms of my awareness of each of our places in society. Up until then, I was just one of many, and I was living in isolation. And in Cameroon, I saw the African feature of the importance of not just the nuclear family, but the extended family, the tribe, the the entire nation, and each one of us having a place in that. And that's, of course, where I saw so many women breastfeeding on a daily basis, every single day, that finally I didn't see them anymore. It was so yes. obvious that this was just part of the the decor. And, and so, it was my first awareness. I, I, I was just going to say, it sounds to me like you had a little bit of an epiphany about yourself. And certainly this experience in Cameroon gave to you a sense of society, where you were in it, and the fact that breastfeeding was normal in that society. Did I get that kind of right? Absolutely. It was, again, as I say, to the point where I no longer saw it because it's like the banana trees. You (laughs) You see a banana tree in the tropics if you're fortunate enough to live in that environment or even to visit it briefly, and the first banana tree attracts your attention. Absolutely. But after a while, you don't see them because see that's them all. all that that there are, that are there. I mean, among other tropical plants. Keep all of those thoughts, and on the other side of the break, we will talk more about your experiences and much more. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here with Jim Acray. We'll be right back after this short break. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuzo, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuso? 
Do you think your staff would enjoy listening to Marie? As the past president of Baby Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs, online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you are tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides with a brief chance for questions at the end, come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Born to be Breastfed. I'm Marie Biancuzzo, your host. And today I have with me my very special guest and my good friend, Jim Acray, author of The Problem with Breastfeeding, A Personal Reflection. And just before we went to break, we were talking a little bit about fatherhood, grandparenthood, children and society, and Jim's awareness of breastfeeding really as a very normal thing. So, Jim, we've talked a little bit about that act of breastfeeding, but I want to talk a little bit about the actual milk and also about cultures, and I don't mean cultured milk, certainly, but uh, tell me this. We all know that human milk is species-specific. So, are we the only species that feeds our young the milk of another species? Well, the only time that you might see a cat drinking cow's milk would come from a saucer, perhaps on the kitchen floor <laughs> yes. in someone's home. Otherwise, I think that's, that's pretty obvious. I think if you look around, we, oh, you see some cross-species uh, suckling. And thank goodness this is so because many animals or many mammals are saved in the process. But this is rather the exception. And if you look at humans, if you look at the uh, Homo sapiens, of which we are uh, the, the, the members, uh, we look at pastoral populations which drink cow's milk, camel's milk, maybe yak milk, mare's milk in some environments. Uh, and then there are many parts of the world where beyond childhood, no mammalian milk of any sort is ever consumed, which is why many populations in Asia and Africa, for example, cannot digest cow's milk because they've lost the uh, lactase in the, in the gut, which allows them to digest the lactose no. in cow's milk. And yes. so it's not something which is if you like, absolutely essential in terms of our, our, uh, our nutrition and our diversified diet. It just happens to be the case in particularly Anglo-Saxon culture all throughout uh, uh, Canada, United States, Australia, New Zealand, for exa- example, um, certainly the United Kingdom and many parts of Europe, certainly Switzerland, where I have lived for the last 41 years, very, very important part of the culture here. 
Jim, as I remember, though, you have lived in many, many parts of the world. Is that true? Well, I've lived in a half a dozen countries for longer than two years. Okay. And the longest period has been in Switzerland. Okay. And and I just want to get my dibs in here. I know that your sister lives actually only a few miles from my sister outside of Rochester, New York. So it's a very small world. <laughs> Indeed. You grew up in Erie, Pennsylvania, yes? That's correct. Until the 1950s when I went to uh, boarding school. And I left the United States in 1966 and haven't really been back except to visit since. Uh, tell me, uh, give us just a small snapshot. How is breastfeeding enormously different in the U.S. than what you've seen in other parts of the world? Well, my impression in the Anglo-Saxon world in general, and particularly in the United States, is that it's almost an anomaly it's something which is unusual and not taken, uh, not taken for granted. And um, if, if I, I was looking the other day at the FDA uh, statistics, and according to the FDA, uh, there are about 4 million births annually in the United States. And it is estimated that 1 million of these are fed, cow's milk-based, infant formula from birth. So that wow. takes off 25%. And so, by Jim, three months, about 2.7 million rely on formula for at least part of their nutrition. Yes, that, that, rings, that rings about right with me. So what could you, uh, how could you explain the fact that in some countries, I'm thinking, for instance, in France or in Ireland, the breastfeeding rates historically have been very, very low, whereas in other countries, for example, Norway and Sweden, the, the rate of breastfeeding has been very, very high. Do you have any insight to help us to explain how is it that those are very, very different? Well, according to, <laughs> I've discussed this, this uh, if you like, this, this dichotomy, uh, Northern Europe from Southern Europe. I've discussed this with numerous informants over the years, people who are from these environments, people who visit these environments regularly, and people who have studied these environments much more carefully than I have. And basically, as I understand it, the turning point in Scandinavia came in the 19, late 1960s, early 1970s, when Scandinavian mothers, for example, in Norway and Sweden, decided that they would take breastfeeding back. And it wasn't the pediatricians. It wasn't the uh, ministries of health. It wasn't any governmental office. It was the mothers themselves who made this decision. And you have very small populations. I mean, you have a population in Norway that's not even 5 million people. Today in Sweden, there are about 11, 11.5 million people. So these are relatively small populations. Nevertheless, they're moving pretty much in lockstep fashion. The ever breastfed rate throughout most of Scandinavia is between 98 and 99%. This is just the way they do things. Yes. And yes. accordingly, uh, if, you, if you take a look, if you contrast that with the behavior in uh, France and Ireland, you have some of the lowest breastfeeding rates in the world, particularly in the industrialized world. And there are 
any number of reasons why this is so. I have my ideas. I have my, uh, if you like, uh, conjecture based on <laughs> the, the the French practice of using wet nurses in the 17th and 18th centuries, where the women who could afford uh, to hire these women, who in turn were taken from their own babies. Don't forget the, the, the infant mortality rate in and around Paris in the 1800s, 1700s, 1800s was close to, if not exceeding, 90%. So these were enormous, enormous wow. uh, losses uh, of populations. I, I, I don't want to uh, make any pointed comments about the role of the church in, uh, in, in Ireland, but surely the, the role of the church is important in terms of women and how they perceive their bodies and how their bodies are used in terms of giving birth. If we consider some of the recent information available in the press about uh, homes for so-called unwed mothers and uh, the kinds of things that have happened over the years. But the, low, the breastfeeding rate in, in Ireland today is only about 40%, the ever breastfed rate. And in 20 years ago, 1994, it was 30%. And the extraordinary thing about this, from my perspective, is that it's in 1994, 30% of Irish women were working outside the home, according to the National Labor Statistics. In other words, 70% of the of mothers were spending the time at home and yet feeding artificially. So it's a question of tradition. It's a question of how the roles are divided and how... Uh, women, individual mothers, perceive uh, what it is that they do. So that today, the breastfeeding rates are very low. And by, by six weeks, there's hardly any more breastfeeding going on in Ireland. Jim, I have to ask you, can you tell our listening audience what you first told me when I met you many, many years ago about why the uh, the rates in France and Ireland were not the same as they were in well, Norway and Sweden? This is a very flippant thing to say, to repeat. <laughs> it's, it's the, uh, at the time I said, well, the, the problem with breastfeeding in Ireland and in France is that the Irish and the French live there and not the Norwegians and the Swedes. I love the whole it. point being that my personal view is I begin from the principle that all mothers, basically, with very, very few exceptions, all mothers love their children. Of course. And consequently, this love for their children motivates them to do the best they possibly can. How this best is translated, however, in nutritional terms, is culturally determined. And if a mother is growing up as a little girl, coming into a society in which she has never seen a baby breastfed, I've never seen a child breastfed, perhaps was not herself breastfed, and comes of age, begins to found her own family, bear her own child or children, she, strictly speaking, lacks any models of behavior. And so she goes and does what she is most familiar with. Familiar with, yes. And so really, 
I, I was just going to say, I don't know that that's terribly different, whether it's about feeding as in breastfeeding or whether it's about food. I'm thinking that, of course, I grew up in a family where my mother fed us pasta eight nights a week. That that's what I, I really and we rarely had dessert. I I simply came out of that household. That was what I knew. That was what I saw. That was what I valued. And I honestly believed that that was what the whole world was like because I just didn't know any better. And so I I think that maybe the point that I would like to make for our listeners is simply that when society models and values something then that becomes ingrained in that culture, as you were talking a few minutes ago um, about your own experience in Africa, that it's it's like you, you got so you didn't even see breastfeeding anymore because it was, in fact, so normal. Jim, as usual, it's always fun to talk with you about this, and I would like to just make sure that our listeners know that on the other side of the break, We're going to come back and I'm going to ask you about the International Code of Marketing of Breast Milk Substitutes. Before we go to break, just one thought, which is I was a guest earlier today on an EWTN uh, radio show, and I gave two of the first authors from the uh, womanly art of breastfeeding, I failed to mention Teresa Pittman. She is the third author. And so I'd just like to make that correction in case anybody is listening to both shows. I'm Marie Biancuzzo. We'll be right back after this short break. New Angel manufactures environmentally friendly and hypoallergenic cotton products for breastfeeding mothers and their new angels. Feel the difference. Soft, absorbent, and breathable. Patented, patent-pending, and award-winning products designed by a certified lactation consultant. Look for New Angel biodegradable, disposable, and cotton washable nursing pads, natural cotton products, and other unique items. Made by mothers for mothers in the USA. Buy N-U-A-N-G-E-L for your New Angel at www.newangel.com and www.amazon.com. Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuzo? Do you think your staff would enjoy listening to Marie? As the past president of Baby Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs, online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you are tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides with a brief chance for questions at the end, come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuzo, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you, too. 
Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto, your host for Born to be Breastfed. I'm here today with Jim Acray, who is joining us from Geneva, Switzerland today. And I really want to ask Jim a couple of things. I want to talk a little bit about the World Health Organization International Code of Marketing of Breast Milk Substitutes, because Jim was one of many people who was involved in the preparation of that document. But Jim, before we actually take that on, I want to ask you, you know, people call me up sometimes and they say, Marie, we'd like to have you come and give a talk on whatever it is day. And I say, sure, I guess I could probably do that. And they say, okay, well, we'd like you to talk about the benefits of breastfeeding. And I usually politely say, um, I'm not your girl for this. I, I, I just, I don't really like to do that. I think you're the only person I know of who just flat out refuses to talk about the benefits of breastfeeding. Tell us why. I think it's uh, if if we step back and we unwrap that that expression, the benefits of breastfeeding, I think it really does become almost laughable. In fact, it becomes laughable. Yes. I mean, this is like extolling the advantages of walking upright <laughs> on two feet. Very nice. In place of crawling on all fours. Uh, wait a minute. We're bipeds. This is what we do, or at least what we should be doing. This is part of our nature, an important part. And what are the advantages of walking on two feet? Well, we don't really spend too much time on that. And if there is somebody who is denied the possibility, either permanently or temporarily, We fortunately have wheelchairs, we have crutches, we have other devices, we have uh, family help, we have hired help, we have any other way, uh, number of ways. I'm I'm building a parallel here between walking on two feet and people who unfortunately are deprived of this capacity temporarily or permanently, and then we try to compensate as best we possibly can. And what I'm referring to here is milk from the breast of the mammal for the masses and for those who for one reason or another might be denied this well then we try 
our best to provide a substitute because the third option, which is letting a person, let, letting a little person die, is not really an option for, for, for obvious moral reasons. So touting the benefits of breastfeeding is a little bit like that. And then if we also step back just one more pace and we then focus on all public health recommendations based on behavior, whether it's wearing a crash helmet, whether it's wearing protective gear for the eyes or for the hands, whether it's putting children in certified car seats or wearing seat belts. We don't put an emphasis on the advantages right. to doing any of this. Right. We focus squarely, however, on the risks in, encountered, incurred, if we fail not. to adopt this behavior. So my, my then not-so-rhetorical question is, why do we consistently make an exception where the public health recommendation is that all children should be breastfed exclusively and so forth and so on and continue breastfeeding beyond six months up until two years of age or beyond. Why, yes. why do we make, why do we consistently make an exception? We want to put the emphasis on the benefits of breastfeeding where the em- emphasis, in fact, should be on the risks incurred if we fail to breastfeed, the risks incurred if we failed to breastfeed appropriately. And then we can switch the focus even further by saying the risks incurred by, uh, by consuming infant formula. But if you like, that comes at the end. It's yes. not so much the consuming of the infant formula that's a problem. It's the denial of the milk, which is tailor-made for our species. Well, I, I really like your analogy about the walking upright. The one that I frequently use is nobody talks about the benefits of, of uh, breathing clean air. We talk about or drinking this. clean water. Or, or, or there drink. you go, same thing. And the other thing that really bugs me a lot is we spend a whole lot of time, it seems to me, talking about these, quote, benefits. I would rather spend that time actually helping somebody to reap those benefits rather than pontificating about the existence of such, quote, benefits. It just seems just goofy to me. Uh, Jim, uh, I know, and I'm really hoping you'll agree to come back on a different show because I know that you are a mountain of knowledge about the World Health Organization International Code of Marketing of Breast Milk Substitutes. We can't spend a whole lot of time talking about that today, but I want to ask you a question that you got me clear about many, many many, many years ago. I hear here in the United States so many times that the U.S. quote, ratified the code. And you really set me straight on that. Can you explain that to our audience, please? Well, basically, it's, it's simply this. The code was adopted in the form of a recommendation. That is, the, the highest uh, governing body of the World Health Organization, the World Health Assembly, adopted the code uh, almost unanimously in uh, the 21st of uh, May, 1981. And it was adopted in the form of a recommendation, basically calling on the governments of WHO member states to adopt legislation, regulations, or other suitable measures to give effect to the code. Now, that was 33 years ago. So the code itself is not a ratifiable instrument. 
in the same way that, for example, the Geneva Convention on the on the on on the care of prisoners or populations in during conflict, or yes. various uh, various other instruments uh, against torture or the right to food. Those these are ratifiable. The Convention on the Rights of the Child is perhaps the most obvious in the context of our discussion today. The Convention on the Rights of the Child has been ratified by the vast majority of governments in the, uh, the world over, fortunately. But this, these are ratifiable instruments, whereas the International Code of Marketing of Breast Milk Substitutes uh, does not have uh, this um, sort of uh, toothy, edgy uh, aspect to it. And so it's really basically up to the goodwill and the political systems in place in uh, countries around the world. And, for example, in the case of the United States, uh, much of what goes on is kept under close watch by the International Baby Food Action Network, among other uh, non-governmental groups that play a very, very important role in seeing to the codes uh, being followed up and being monitored and uh, account being taken of what is actually happening. Jim, would it be fair then to say that, in short, the code is not a ratifiable document? Correct. Yes. Okay. Then could you then talk to us a little bit about the idea of supply and demand as it relates to the code? Well, my perception after looking at this, these questions for the last 40 years is that uh, focusing, and I, this is what the, the International Code does, the International Code focuses on the supply and the marketing of the supply of breast milk substitutes, including infant formula. And if you consider then the United States, where 52% of the formula consumed in the United States is provided through the Women's Infants and Children's Supplemental Feeding Program, the famous WIC program, this is something to pay attention to. And this is... Uh, a a food source for infants and young children who ideally should be breastfed, but for a variety of reasons are not. So how how can this be changed? Well, this will not be changed if the focus is uniquely on marketing. Because the, if the focus is on marketing and making it more difficult for the manufacturers and distributors of infant formula, for example, to sell their products, that's only going to drive the price of the products up. Because yes. doing business in a constrained market is more expensive than doing business in an open, liberal, uh, free-flowing market. And so unless the, the, the demand side of the equation, which is the demand for infant formula is adjusted downwards, which means automatically that an increase in demand for breast milk has come in, well, then there's not going to be much of a, there will be no net change, positive change on in terms of the prevalence and duration of breastfeeding, which of course is why the code is very important, a very important a major step in terms of dealing with inappropriate marketing practices, but of course has to be paralleled with, thank goodness this is happening with groups like La Leche League 
and yes. the International Lactation Consultant Association, among others, to increase the demand for breast milk. And I, I would just have to say here that my thing always is, even if we closed the formula companies this afternoon at 5 p.m., it's not it's not going to solve the problem. And so essentially, you have said the same kind of thing. Jim, these thoughts have been so helpful, so insightful. They're really, I'm just picking at just the very, very tip of the iceberg of the things that I've learned from you about the code over the years. I know that especially our professional listeners, uh, maybe not the mothers so much, but those who are already um people who are in the healthcare professions will want to hear more from you. And so, uh, you know, this is kind of like an advanced uh, (laughs) invitation to get you back on another show. Uh, But meanwhile, we need to go to break. And I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I'm here today with my wonderful guest, uh, Jim Acray. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuzo? Do you think your staff would enjoy listening to Marie? As the past president of Baby Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs, online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you are tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides with a brief chance for questions at the end, come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff. New Angel manufactures environmentally friendly and hypoallergenic cotton products for breastfeeding mothers and their new angels. Feel the difference. Soft, absorbent, and breathable. Patented, patent-pending, and award-winning products designed by a certified lactation consultant. Look for New Angel biodegradable, disposable, and cotton washable nursing pads, natural cotton products, and other unique items. Made by mothers for mothers in the USA. Buy N-U-A-N-G-E-L for your New Angel at www.newangel.com and www.amazon.com. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuzo, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. 
You are listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso with Born to be Breastfed, and I have here today Jim Acray, who is going to help us to finish up this segment for Father's Day, talking a little bit about breastfeeding and uh, beyond, really. So, Jim, one of the questions that I get from time to time is that it's so important for the father to be supportive of the mother's decision to breastfeed. If there were just one idea maybe that you could impart to fathers, just man-to-man, father-to-father, what would you say about babies being breastfed? Oh, it's hard to know where to begin. I would simply, (laughs) I would do my best to uh, inform fathers, inform a father, if this were asked of me, uh, that this is absolutely the best thing. Certainly, uh, fathers no less than mothers want the best for their children. This is a given. This is a, 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 a basic principle. And this is absolutely the, the, the way to go in terms of uh, if a brain is important, and we can all agree that a brain is important, we could tell the father that his child will never have the neurocognitive development potential reached by any other means. In other words, the child in question will fall short of its genetic potential, for which presumably the father has at least 50% of responsibility, (laughs) (laughs) will never reach its full, the child's full genetic potential any other way. And I think if we put the emphasis on that, rather than talking about the benefits, we talk about the disbenefits, we talk about the risks of doing any other, uh, making any other approach to the nurturing and the nourishing uh, of our children and the child in question, which is the father, where the father comes in. And that's from the standpoint of motivation, from the standpoint of, well, let's get on with uh, life. The household is a cooperative. And the cooperative roles uh, have a way of being flexible, at least they should be. In other words, there are uh, things that can be done and should be done by males, by parents, by fathers, and so forth and so on. Because breastfeeding takes time. It's an investment, it's a mother's investment in uh, their, in this case, because we're talking about both parents, in their child. And clearly, multitasking has its limitations when it comes to being with a child. Jim, as I hear you talking, I want to pick up on a word that you said earlier in the uh, show, and that was depriving the baby. And I hear you talking now about potential. And so it seems to me like, as we all know this could be like a huge topic, but the fact of the matter is you're really talking about uh, not depriving that baby of being able to reach his full potential. Did I kind of Precisely, and this this is the only approach that we can take. 
This is not a guarantee because there's much more going on sure. than the nurturing and the nourishment. That's, that is clear. Other responsibilities elsewhere in society. But without that first, if you like, uh, stone, keystone in place, uh, that it. wall will not be built. Oh, love that. Love that analogy. And by the way, your analogies are always very interesting. So, Jim, tell us this. For those of us who are in the professional community, we remember you with great fondness over many, many years. I'm sure I speak for myself as well as for many of my contemporaries. And I was astonished the other day when we talked and you said that you had been retired from the World Health Organization, I think you said for 10 years. It'll be 10 years in September. Oh, my. So some of us are always kind of wondering what you do with yourself. Uh, For some of us, you have been, you know, kind of a a, a relic (laughs) at the World Health Organization. So what are you doing in your retirement as related to breastfeeding or anything else? Well, I had the privilege of serving on the board of directors of the International Board of Lactation Consultant Examiners. responsible for the board certified lactation consultants, which you knew all about. Oh, yes, which I have prep courses for. (laughs) Well, indeed. I did that for two two times, three years, so six years. I also wrote a book, which you uh, kindly plugged earlier in the show, and the the problem with breastfeeding, a personal reflection, which is also available in French and is in preparation in Spanish. I continue to present at conferences, uh, whether in France or in England, or I was in Zagreb, I was in uh, recently in Sardinia, uh, other parts I was uh, of Europe, in Belgium and so forth, two to three times a year, sometimes four times a year. Um, I was in Lille at the end of uh, 2013 for a two-day conference bringing together 140 health professionals, um, and so forth and so on. I continue to publish occasional items. uh, And someone, if anyone is interested in human milk sharing, uh, the International Breastfeeding Journal has uh, a commentary that I was the first author for that was published just three years ago, 25th of June 2011 has been downloaded nearly 25,000 times. Which so is it's a very, very thought-provoking, I might add. Very hot topic still. And yes. Very, if you consider the, the, the dearth of human milk banks in North America, 14 in Canada and the U.S. for a combined population of about 350 million people. And if you consider Switzerland with its 8 million people and 9 human milk banks, or Norway with its... 4.9 million people and 11 human milk banks, and so on and so forth. So you've certainly had an opinion on that. Anything else that you have done that we should know about? Oh, not that I'm willing to admit in public. <laughs> and one last question before we close out. When is the next time that we here in the U.S. will see your shining face? Oh, I don't have a, I don't have a trip planned, but uh, I'll put it this way to you. Uh, invitations are welcome. Oh, oh, that's very, very good. I, I shall keep that in mind. Well, as usual, this hour always goes very, very quickly. That's all the time that we have today. I'd like to thank my guest, uh, Jim Acray, formerly from the World Health Organization, uh, 
in the uh, nutrition division and author of The Problem with Breastfeeding, A Personal Reflection. I'd like to thank all of you for listening today, and I invite you to all come back next week. In the meantime, Visit my website at borntobebreastfed.com for a preview of what's coming up. Actually, next week, I know what we have. We have Lori Berkner coming next week, and that is a very interesting interview. I know that you'll be uh, interested to hear some personal things that Lori will be sharing with us. And if you're interested in professional continuing education about breastfeeding and lactation, remember, I'm your source for evidence-based practice and education on the web and sometimes in your city. Again, website for those of you who are mothers is borntobebreastfed.com. For professionals, www.breastfeedingoutlook.com. And Jim mentioned the IBLCE exam. I'm doing a great deal of IBLCE exam. Uh, We have ton of stuff available for that in the next uh, few few weeks, really. I'm Marie Biancuto. I promise I'll help you to cut through the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding next Monday, same time, same channel. In the meanwhile, remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do what's best for you and your baby. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.